One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we're going to be talk, talk, talking about some of this week's games that might be flying a bit under the radar. I'm your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings, Twitter, and Discord. And today, I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. What's going on, guys? How are we doing? Any notable things from last week? I'm at the point of the season where I'm like, oh, well, you know, at least the weather's nice outside, you know, <laughs> it's, just, it's great to be alive, you know, instead of just avoiding all topics about the actual uh, DFS results. Yeah, I had mixed results. I ended up losing a little bit uh, overall across the, the whole week. But I mean, I had some good games, bad games, and then I've got NHL to to make it up with. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You keep you keep leaning into that. <laughs> It was yeah. such a, such a bizarre week of football. Like it's yeah. just hard to even, I mean, you can, there's still ways you can, you know, evaluate your process, but the results are probably not the best way to like, look at how, you know, your week went in terms of roster building. Yeah. I feel like between this week and last week, either one of these weeks, I feel like would have qualified as one of the crazier weeks we've seen in quite a while, but to have like these two weeks back to back is just, we're just continuing to see just crazy outcomes. I mean, the, I was just completely mind blown with the, the Buffalo situation. Like, I mean, absolutely unreal. Like how is that humanly possible? <laughs> right. I think Buffalo falling on its face for Urban Meyer and Mahomes, like actually looking still continuing to look even worse. Like I, last week I pushed back on that. I was like, when you tried to bring it up, I'm like, nah, you know, I, I think it's being overblown. And then he looked even worse. I'm like, Oh, this is just not, not good, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's football, right? There's just uh, peaks and valleys. So hopefully we can find ourselves on the, the peak this week. Yes. That's right. The first peak. Uh, yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, by the way, to I, in my solo pod earlier today, uh, I talked more about how shitty my year has been <laughs> and I, I dropped kind of a bomb in terms of, uh, I had a confession to make, so a little teaser there. Go, go, listen to that. Um, but speaking of first peaks, let's get into today's lineup. We've got Atlanta at Dallas, Tampa Bay at Washington, New Orleans at Tennessee. It's been uh, it's been kind of interesting to pick these games recently. It feels kind of difficult to come up with these, but we're we're trying our best here, and we're gonna see what we've got in these spots. First of all, up Atlanta at Dallas. We have a Cowboys team that is heavily favored at home. The Falcons have been kind of all over the place, uh, but they've at least shown that they shouldn't be counted out. You know, we've got two capable quarterbacks and defenses that have shown some cracks. So let's jump into it here and see what we can find. Lex, you had noted that these teams have combined for 60 plus point totals in seven out of 16 games. Uh, Four of Atlanta's eight 
quarterback opponents. So half of them have scored three plus touchdowns while three of the other four have scored zero. So kind of an interesting discrepancy there, but we have Dak back here, solid Cowboys offense. Lex, what are we looking at in this spot? Yeah, I don't think the Atlanta defense is anybody to fear. They've been a little bit weird, you know, like like you just pointed out with the, you know, some strong games mixed in with some really bad ones. Um, they haven't had any 300 yard passers against them this year, but I, I think it's just more like a volume thing. Like they just, no one's really gotten there just because they've either not had to pass as much or had some success on the ground. Um, but I think Dak sets up really nicely here. He's had three plus touchdowns in five of his seven games. Um, last week was a little bit weird. They looked off, but I, I mean, Vic Fangio is obviously a really good defensive mind. Dak was returning from injury. Um, I think they might even get Gallup back this week. Uh, they Tyron Smith like might return soon. So I, I don't know. I, I really like the spot for Dak in the passing game here. Like with them, obviously this, this year we've been more concerned with just their volume overall, like with the Cowboys not needing to throw as much. Um, but I, I still think that it, in terms of efficiency, it's a pretty good spot. And then if, if Atlanta can push on the other side, which I do think they can, then I think that we'd expect a, a pretty strong game from Dak here. Just thoughts on Dak and this offense and how they match yeah. up. I think part of why Dak struggled last week was probably due to the left tackle being out. So him being out would be a bit of a hit to them. Um, Atlanta's defense, like they don't have a bunch of stars out there. Uh, their best player is probably AJ Terrell and he can shut down one side of the field. And the way Dallas uses their receivers, they kind of travel all over the place. So that doesn't necessarily mean that any one of their receivers is going to be shut down. Uh, it just means that Dak's probably going to throw to his left more than his right. Um, Gallup coming back is going to help. Uh, and then Cooper, when Gallup was healthy, Cooper and CD lamb were in the slot a lot. So Gallup might be kind of, <laughs> here's your first game back. We'll sacrifice you to AJ Terrell and, We'll let Cooper and CD get all the catches because they'll move into the slot more. They're at like they were at 40 percent and 37 percent in that one game with Gallup on the field. So that'll help them because that's kind of where you want to attack Atlanta is through the slot. And mainly, actually, you want to attack Atlanta with your running backs and passing like they're they're still that type of a defense. And then you've got Dan Quinn kind of he could probably give some intel on the defensive players there because he was there last year. So he can help out the offense a little bit, and maybe give some tendencies or anything like that stuff that the players aren't picking up already on tape. Maybe he can, uh, you know, give them a couple extra tips. But yeah, this game, it's it's got a 54 and a half point total Cowboys, nine and a half point spread. So it's it's going to be high scoring and. I think the running backs can do a little bit like it, it could be pretty spread out and Dak could get to be that first 300 yard passer this week. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a great setup and kind of going through uh, as I keep digging into this through the rest of the week, like I I'm going to want to play stacks from this game and it's just a matter of, you know, finding the right combination of players from it, but they're the Atlanta side's probably easier because they have the more narrow distribution. Dallas can possibly get a little more spread out with two running backs, three wide receivers, and then a tight end that all see the ball. So yeah, interesting game. Yeah. I think I can kind of jump on that too, in terms of like the receivers. So Atlanta's only had, I think two guys that went over 20 DK points this year, Evans and McLaurin. Um, both of them scored two touchdowns and they had like pretty big games as a result. 
Um, but I, I think the reason that they haven't allowed too many of those is just kind of a byproduct of not allowing too many pass yards and being um, so, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, so effectively attacked on the ground as well or through the air with running backs, like Jess was saying. Um, but I think that like at least one of these receivers is set up to have a pretty nice game. It, you know, Gallup is probably like most likely to see Terrell, like Jess was saying. Um, the problem with Gallup being back is that just leads to like maybe less targets for everyone involved, you know, overall, which could, you know, limit the ceiling. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really hard to predict that when we only have like a really small sample of, uh, of that this year with Gallup going down in the first game. So I don't know. I, it's going to be tough to figure out, <clears throat> excuse me, which one of those receivers is the one that can pop off, but I'm very interested in taking, you know, shots at this past game and maybe like one of them going off. I think Dak is obviously the one who sets up the best just because with him, you don't have to guess which receiver um, you can, especially with Gallup back like that, you know, with that making it more muddled, you know, Dak's just in an even better spot. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of rambling just because it's really hard to narrow down. Like, you know, one of these receivers setting up better than the other other than like Jess was saying, the one who sees Terrell the most is probably the least likely to have a big game. Um, but I, I just think that this passing game sets up nice, especially with the expectation of an Atlanta scoring on the other, on the other side to push them. Um, just because with these receivers, you're going to need extra volume for that score, you know, to win you a tournament, just because if they're able to run the ball 35 times, like they have a couple of times this year, then you're just really, you know, you're in dangerous territory with one of them kind of creating your, creating your uh, roster. Yeah. And you might want the guy who catches the the shallowest passes because Atlanta's forcing the fifth shallowest a dot at 7.2 yards. And then 23% of their targets are going to the running back position, which is a pretty high amount. So I don't know. I was just trying to figure out how much Tony Pollard was. This might be one of those weeks where we might want to look at him. Um, I think Schultz is probably in play and then probably lamb just because he does seem to run more of the, the shallower routes, but I was trying to pull his a dot up here too. But I'll keep looking at that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think as you mentioned there too, Dalton Schultz is another mouth to feed, right? Like he has been seeing meaningful work while playing with Dak. And so, yeah, I mean, you're with, with him in there. And then, like you said, Lex galloping back and these guys already generally going off of kind of, you know, relatively low volume, uh, you're spread a little bit thin in terms of, you know, if you're looking for volume, looking for targets, it is going to be kind of hard to pick. And there is a pretty solid chance that one of these guys has a decent game, but you're left a little bit chasing. I think for me, the, the one thing that stands out is kind of interesting is, is Amari just because Lex, you had noted he has 70 plus yards in two of eight games. I, you know, in general, I think he's a, a good player with JM talked about this a little bit last week with a quite a high ceiling. He just hasn't really hit for any in a while. So that would be purely from like a, uh, a strategy game theory standpoint for me would potentially be playing Amari. I played him last week, didn't pan out, uh, because you know, he'll have another game or two probably by the end of the year. That is a, a pretty solid score. So that's my only other thought there, but in general, yeah, kind of tough. And I I'm kind of with you, Lex, like, easiest to to just play Dak and you know hope that maybe he runs one in and you get points from that or something like that yeah I would say like in terms of betting on the Dallas side here like I I think 
you're better off betting betting on the game environment as a whole. So like including Atlanta pieces or overstacking Dallas or, you know, whatever that may be with through with Dak and Zeke both or something like that. Just because like trying to pick a one-off here is going to be really tough when you've got three strong receivers, all, all really good players. Dalton Schultz, who's been probably the most consistent player of anyone on the, the team in terms of his usage. And then Zeke and Paul are both like, you just have so many guys that can garner, you know, volume here that trying to bet on one of them as a one-off is more difficult than probably just making bets on the game environment as a whole being like one of the, you know, better scoring of the week. Yeah. And with that, if you guys are ready, if we're talking paths of least resistance, uh, Dallas can pretty much attack how they want to, which is generally pretty balanced, but they do want to run the ball, obviously. Uh, so with, with Zeke and Pollard, <clears throat> again, you have two models to feed in the backfield and we've kind of been over their splits in recent pods. Uh, but thoughts on those guys, Jess, I'll throw it over to you first. Cause I know you're the, you're the man when it comes to adjusted line yards and stuff like that. What does that look like? And how does that set up? Yeah. Dallas has the the top adjusted line yard score of the week. Uh, they've got 4.83 when you combine both the offense and Atlanta's defense. So they're just above Cleveland, who's got a 4.7. So they're above them by about 0.13. They also have the eighth best net rush DVOA score at a negative 5.4%. And they've got the number two drive success rate score. So that kind of leads to running the ball. You've got everything set up. You got your O-line is better than their D-line. Your overall rushing environment is great. And you've got a good drive success rate opportunities. So you can attack however you want. Um, we have seen Dallas go run heavy in other games, uh, especially against, I mean, they did it against Carolina, another NFC South opponent. So maybe they, they try and rely on the run game in a somewhat unfamiliar opponent. Although I know Quinn knows this team, but Dallas doesn't see Atlanta every year. So they, it could be one of those games where they just, they, they pound the ball. Um, you also got the, the 23% targets to running backs. So either of those running backs could hit, it could be one of those weeks where both of those guys could be efficient enough to, to put out a good enough score. If you're picking between one or the other and kind of combining the two amongst different rosters. Yeah, I don't, I don't have like too much more to add. Um, to that, I think with, with Elliot, I think Jan was even talking about this on his classroom thing where he hasn't really put up the score. I mean, none of these Dallas guys really that like would leave you in the dust if you didn't have them. I think his high score is like only just about 28 DK points. So he's never got each, at least this season, like with his usage, like you shouldn't fear not having him. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't play him because he still sets up nice. He's had some, some strong scores as well. Um, I think like Jess is saying, they do set up nice to have a pretty run heavy approach here. If that's the way that it decide to attack, I think really they can attack how they want, especially with Gallup back. I mean, they just, they have so many different ways to like, we were like, we've been saying to attack this defense through all those different guys. Um, so really your, your just problem is if Zeke gets enough volume, I, he's had one of the, the more consistent usages like among running backs this year with like kind of everyone at the top being like a little bit down, you know, with the teams managing them different way. But like the part of that problem is that that just limits his ceiling a bit, um, especially when you have someone effective like Pollard, you know, behind him who can come in for, you know, 10 to 15 touches as well. So I don't know. It's, it's tough to, it, nothing really stands out 
you know, I mean, no, no running back has even gone over, I think like 80 some yards versus Atlanta this year, just because, you know, I, again, it's like the same as a passing. I don't really know what's going on. Like, I don't know if teams are just not running enough plays or what, or the usage has just been really spread out, but no, there's been very few like half to habit scores versus Atlanta this year, despite them being such an attackable defense. Um, so you're really, again, I think you're just betting on this game environment. Like, you know, Zeke getting in the end zone a couple of times or receiver scoring just because finding a one-off in this game is just, is really tough, at least from the Dallas side. I mean, I think Atlanta's a little bit different. Yeah. With that, just the, the, the running back situation just feels like it's been so weird on in DFS and on DraftKings this year, just because like, and JM talked about this in, I think about classroom, like a few weeks back, where it's just like, we're not seeing this, this massive floor and ceiling out of guys this year because of split backfields and injuries and all these things. So it really does. A lot of this comes down to pricing. Jess kind of mentioned Pollard earlier. It's like, I feel like you have to get a little bit more creative or dig into things a little bit more with running back to, to really know what you're putting on your roster essentially. So just kind of a, a general note there. And yeah, yeah. Zeke sets up as like solid, but also yeah, the chances of him like smashing or something like that are um, not super bankable. Cause he hasn't done it yet this year. Lex, do you have something else there? Yeah. I was just going to say, I was looking at like the other running backs on the slate and there's quite a few running backs that are in good spots uh, this coming week. So you're going to be wanting to make sure that you're betting on like a, a pretty big score or like a lot of, you know, volume, just because there's going to be a lot of, I think, playable guys this week, at least when building, like there's just a lot of weight, you know, different routes you can go. Um, so you're just going to, you want to build with the, obviously the, the upside in mind. And while Zeke, you know, has really good consistency and can put up a big score, like so far this year, at least he hasn't shown like that have to have it score. So when you have so many guys that are in good spots, you just, it's something you probably want to keep in mind. All right. With that, let's head on over to the other side of the ball. You guys already alluded to uh, Dallas's defensive coordinator. Dan Quinn was Atlanta's head coach for the last few years, giving Ryan and Quinn lots of familiarity with each other. Ryan has 22 DK points and five of eight games. His highs though are 29 and 31.5. So I said though, uh, but it's still a solid score price considered but what are we expecting from the Atlanta offense? Lex, I know you said you kind of like how this side sets up a little bit thoughts on Ryan, his matchup and how this looks. Yeah. I didn't, I never like pulled anything this week in terms of like, you know, QBs and old coaches facing each other. Um, but I do think it's interesting that, you know, they'll have familiarity with each other. I, I couldn't tell you whether that's a positive or a negative for Ryan. Um, but it, I would assume just having as much information as possible about who you're going up against is better, you know, as a quarterback. So I do think that's interesting. These teams have both been in some pretty high scoring games this year. Uh, Dallas has allowed the fourth most quarterback DK points per game this year, fifth most QB pass yards, you know, Ryan's thrown for 300 plus yards in half of his games. He's on one of the highest pass rate teams in the league. I, I think that Ryan sets up really nice. I mean, I think we, as we just talked about, Dallas has a pretty, um, good size expectation of scoring a lot of points in this game. So, you know, if they are to do that, then Atlanta is probably going to need to pass a lot more in this game to keep up. Uh, Dallas is more attackable to the air than on the ground. 
Um, Ryan has been playing really well. Like I just named off those stats, but it's like, it's not just the box score stuff. Like he, he played a really good game last week against a really good saints defense. Um, and that was without, you know, no, there's no Ridley. I think Pitts is in his best spot that he's had in a couple of weeks. So I, I really like the spot for Atlanta's passing game with Ryan here. And it's a lot easier, obviously to attach players to him in stacks than it is on the Dallas side, just because the distribution is, a, you know, a little bit narrower here. And both teams play pretty fast too. And just kind of basically looking what Vegas thinks of this game, Atlanta's going to have to be in this game at some point for at least three quarters or whatever they're, they're going to be scoring uh, the metrics as far as like the workbook sets up, it doesn't really have a lot of good indicators for Atlanta. Like they're, fifth worst for net drive success rate score. They're fourth worst for net pass DVOA score. But this is the type of game environment where you kind of throw those stats out the window. Um, not having Ridley definitely hurts in a way. I mean, it helps us as DFS player. Well, we would rather be rostering Ridley than Zacchaeus and Gage, but <laughs> I mean, it does narrow down stuff a lot more. <laughs> and uh, Ryan is thrown. He threw for 342 yards, 146 and 343. And so he's over 342 yards in two out of three games without Ridley. So he's able to overcome it. He's thrown two touchdowns in those three games. Um, DK scores of 24.6 and then the 8.1 against Carolina and then 31.5 last week. Um, so he's capable of, of moving the ball with who's ever has, whoever's going to be out there, uh, looking at targets without, uh, where's that targets without Ridley it's, uh, Pitts is getting 7.7 per game, which is 22.5% share. And then Patterson's getting 6.7. So those are like the two highest targeted guys when Ridley's out. And then Mike Davis is actually right behind those two with 4.3. And then you got Tajay with four, Hurst with 3.7 per game. And then Gage and Zacchaeus are both averaging 2.7 targets per game. But you've also got Gage. uh, Let's see here. Well, no, Gage should be four because he played two games and had a zero target game and an eight target game. So he's, he's above Hurst. So it really, it without Ridley, you're going to be looking at rostering Matt Ryan, Kyle Pitts, and Cordero Patterson. Those are pretty much the only three Falcons worth rostering. Um, I, I mean, Mike Davis, he hasn't shown anything. Atlanta hasn't shown much commitment to him as far as like, yeah, you know, <laughs> that it was it two weeks ago when they said that the ball's going to come his way when the game plan dictates it. I don't know if that's the spot either. So really, if you're looking at this game, you're looking at, Probably if you're going to stack the Dallas side, you're doing bringbacks with Pitts. You're doing bringbacks with Patterson. Uh, if you're stacking the Atlanta side, you might as well just do Ryan, Pitts, Patterson, and then do one or two bringbacks from the Dallas side. Oh, and then one more thing as far as uh, how Mike Davis probably is not going to do well in this. The net adjusted line yard score for Atlanta is the eighth worst of the week, and they have the worst net rush DVOA. So <laughs> the run game doesn't set up for them at all. It's it's going to be Matt Ryan throwing for 300, and it's going to be Pitts and Patterson doing most of the work. Yeah, I think Jess hit on a lot of the stuff that I would have talked about. Um, Pitts is probably my favorite just because I think Atlanta uh, stands to pass a lot. He he's coming off two matchups where he had really tough situations against tough uh, tight end defenses in Carolina and new Orleans. Um, you know, he saw some Gilmore and Lattimore and Malcolm Jenkins, like guys like that, just tough in that situation, especially when they can focus so much of their attention on you when the other guys are like Gage and Zacchaeus. 
Uh, Zacchaeus is someone I'd stay away from. I mean, he only had like three targets as week. He just happened to, you know, get in the end zone twice. Gage is someone that I think in like larger field, you know, if you're making a big bet on this game environment, he can be a part of those stacks. He's still cheap enough, but um, I'm, you know, if you're building, you know, smaller field, like obviously like Jess was saying, Pitts and, and Patterson are really the only two you should focus on. And not only that, they both set up really nice as well. So like they're in good spots. Dallas has allowed a lot of receiving production to the air to running backs. Patterson has had a floor since week two of 14 DK points. He's just getting, even in the early part of the season when he wasn't being used as much, like he, he was still just racking up catches and uh, he's got five plus catches in six of eight games. He's getting in the end zone a ton. I mean, I don't really have much else to say other than like, he he's like shocking the fantasy community with what he's doing this year, just after the, you know, everything he's done in previous in his career. But I think that, basically is what I just said. Pitts versus Dallas defense that struggled versus tight ends. He's the number one, you know, uh, target now in this pass offense with Ridley gone. I, I think that Dak, I probably like a little bit better than Ryan. And so like, maybe if you're trying to make a bet on this environment, like you can still find ways to bet on Dak and then use these Atlanta pieces. Like you don't have to just stack them with Ryan. Um, I think using Dak is an interesting way to go here. Um, but I really like everything. Like I, 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 I'm, I I'm like struggling to put together a coherent thought because like there's nothing that makes like one guy in the Dallas side stand out and the Atlanta guys, it's like almost so obvious that it's those two top guys. And like, everyone will think that way about it. But I really think that the the most clear paths to success in this, this whole matchup are, you know, Pitts, Patterson, Dak and lamb. And then, you know, like the guys we talked about, like Zeke and, Ryan and whatnot, but I'm really excited for this game. I, I I think this has got a chance to be really well, even though, yeah, like Jess was saying, their success rate for Atlanta has not been great. I think I would assume it's at least trending upward, like after that really poor start to the season with how they've played lately. Um, but I don't know. I, that, that's just a guess on my part, but I they've been pretty productive of late. Again, I'm just rambling. I, I like this spot basically. That, that that's my final thoughts. Like I, I like this spot and the, the best players. In the, the, the sign off on uh, the Atlanta side of the wall. Well, yeah, the game in the Atlanta side yeah, of the wall. Uh, that's it. Shut me up. Yeah. yeah. No, I especially like as a uh, single entry guy, a small field. I'm usually looking for like bankable blocks. Like I kind of did with. Uh, it's a little different, I guess, but like. Zeke and Amari last week, just because I thought that game environment was going to be pretty back and forth, maybe not quite as good as this one, but wanted to block like that of, you know, hopefully touchdown equity and things like that. And in this spot, kind of like what you guys are saying, definitely Pitts and uh, Patterson fill that spot. I mean, really uh, a reasonable target projection for them is probably like 15 combined or something like that. Right. Like that's feasible. It, assuming the game is going the most likely route that we're talking about where Ryan is having to throw quite a bit. Yeah. That would just be like one above their average so far without Ridley and both of them will avoid digs. <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting player block for sure. Yeah. So I don't know the the price on that, but that's interesting just from like a, you know, a pretty solid volume perspective. And I, th- I thought your take was sharp Lex on gauge, like agreed with it. 100% like, yeah, definitely like viable and large field just because of this game environment, but obviously thin, if you're playing smaller field stuff or single entry or whatever. 
well engage being in the slot, he'll also avoid digs. Like, I, I don't know who they're going to throw on the outside. It's like Zacchaeus and sharp, I guess are on the outside. I was trying to look at slot rates on all of these receivers and they all kind of travel through the slot, but gauge is the primary guy. Yeah. It's kind of interesting from a DFS standpoint, because it's like, if that's the case, then great, because the guy's a throwaway as it is. So to just kind of be a placeholder and, you know, be interesting. I, Diggs will stay there, right? Like he's, he's not going to move around. Right. I would suspect they're just going to put him where he is. And then just whoever's in front of him, he's going to cover. Yeah. They play a lot of zone anyway. So he's, it's not like he's running man to man and like really shadowing anybody. He's just in somebody's area. All right. Well, yeah. Lex, did you have something uh, there? I was going to say, yeah, I'm just agreeing with you guys. It just, it sets up really well for the two best guys on Atlanta which, you know, is bad for Dallas, but, you know, good for fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. So just kind of the, the high level recap, I think, as you guys are saying, it's kind of a place to, to game stack here, just pick different ways to attack it. Uh, especially if you're, you know, building a block of rosters, building in such a way that you're getting exposure to different scenarios and just building for that, you know, specifically with the, the Dallas side and how that could play out. But with that, why don't we move on from that game, head on to our next, which is Tampa Bay at Washington. I've got another kind of lopsided contest here, at least as Vegas has it. Uh, The Bucs are heavily favored, although they're on the road. Washington had started the year looking like they were going to be able to compete, but have really struggled recently. So let's just jump right into it. Is there anything roster worthy we're going to start with the Tampa Bay side of the ball because this is kind of the more obvious, easier side. We've talked about it a bit on this pod uh, this season. I mean, Brady just has the pristine matchup with this porous back end of the Washington football team. Lex, I mean, is there any reason to assume that Brady is not just going to throw all over them? I would say my expectation of the game is that it could play out a lot like the Miami one or Chicago where Tampa Bay just puts up a ton of points. And then you try to get some like comeback mode production from the other side, but you don't necessarily need to roster one of those guys just because Tampa Bay is so aggressive. You know, they're probably going to put up a, a nice score for one of their guys regardless. But I would say the ways that can, you know, disappoint is you know, Gronk is questionable now after he got like, I think a little bit more banged up trying to play last week. And then Godwin missed practice today. You know, we already know AB is out. I think Scotty Miller's still out. Like, so if you're down to like Evans and some of these other guys, like that at least gives Washington more of a chance to keep it more competitive or, you know, more pass to like drives failing just because of one of these less experienced players or less skilled players to mess up. Um, but like, Brady's been playing awesome this year. They still have elite pass protection, even if they're missing those guys. I mean, Mike Evans is still really good. Tyler Johnson has been pretty good in his like spot play. And they still have guys like OJ Howard and Brate catch passes and geo out of the backfield. So I think Tampa Bay's offense has a pretty high expectation of points regardless, but I do think that the ceiling that they can reach is obviously higher with, you know, their better players in. Um, but I, I I'm expecting Brady to put up a pretty nice score here like barring something insane, like an, you know, one of the offensive line injury injuries and then chase young and sweat and these guys like wreak havoc. But if they were going to do that, they would have done it in the playoffs last year and 
Tampa Bay's O-line completely controlled that game. And I, I would probably expect something similar this year. They're just so dominant up front. Yeah. And just looking at the game environment, both of these teams play at a good pace. Um, Tampa Bay has the number one drive success rate score on the slate. Even if, okay. So even if Washington can't keep up on offense, their issue is, is they can't get you off the field on defense. They're third down. They have the worst third down conversion rate on defense. They're allowing 56% of their opponents uh, to convert on third down. So even if they can't score, they're not going to be able to stop Tampa from driving. So Tampa is going to have a lot of successful drives in this game. Um, the one point that would help Washington is, is this might be the first time they have their full starting offensive line in front of uh, whoever the Heineke is. Uh, so the the offensive line being healthy will help Washington. Washington's coming off of a bye week, so they can kind of self-scout, recalibrate that kind of thing. Uh, and they're at home. So, so those are the only like pluses I can give as far as like Washington being able to stay in this game. But even if they don't, I, I still think Tampa Bay is going to be able to just move the ball at will. Um, if Tampa Bay's down those receivers, like if we know Brown's out, if Gronk or yeah, Gronk and Godwin can't play, then you're down to guys like Darden and Johnson and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I read Miller is probably not ready to be back yet either. But I mean, looking at targets without AB, Godwin has 23, Evans has 14, and that's including only four against the Saints and Lattimore last week. But where I think we can really pick up some uh, hidden values in the running backs, because Fournette has nine targets, and there's been a little bit of talk about Gio Bernard ready to pick up and, you know, kind of catch some passes in this game too. And Washington's allowed the most touchdown passes to running backs in the league with seven, and they're allowing two and a half touchdown passes per game. So there's a good chance that all he needs is Evans, Fournette, and Gio Bernard to win this game because Washington's not going to be able to stop them. And those are kind of the, the areas where Washington is the weakest. They get beat over the top and they get beat by throwing to running backs. So they may not even need any of the other wide receivers or tight ends in this one. Yeah, as you guys are talking, I'm like, is there a world where Tampa Bay doesn't score five touchdowns? And then I thought of everything that's happened the past two weeks. And I'm like, well, there's there's the trap. <laughs> um, but seriously, like, I mean, I could see this being a spot where it's like 28-0 going into the half. It just, just, you know, kind of like what you were saying there. I just don't know how Washington has a chance to stop based on, you know, how Tampa Bay plays offense and how aggressive they're going to be just kind of hard to see how they're going to slow them down. I think what you said there too, about the, those positions is, is really interesting. I think it will be interesting to see what Godwin's situation is, because if we do have that relatively narrow distribution, you know, for this Tampa Bay offense, at least uh, of touches, potentially that's really interesting because we don't normally have that with this team. You know, normally if I'm ever going to play Brady, it's probably naked. Uh, maybe try to throw If I'm really going to stack the game, I'll throw two pass catchers in there, but this is a spot where there's, there might be more bankable volume than usual. So that's, that is pretty interesting to me. Lex thoughts on, um, on that, or just the, just kind of let us into the the running back situation as well. Um, thoughts on Fournette. 
Yeah, I mean, first, like with the game failing again, I the problem is the best thing that Washington does is generate pressure, like the 10th highest pressure rate. But Tampa Bay is one of the best at preventing pressure in the league. And then Washington is allowed the most completed air yards of any team, despite playing like only eight games compared to nine for some teams. So they're just like Jess was saying, they're just allowing so much um, deep passing yardage against them. And Brady's just been so effective uh, with that this year. So I, I just, I, I have a hard time believing that the Tampa Bay offense like fails in some regard, like sure. Maybe the touchdowns go through like Fournette, like we can talk about her somewhere else, but the whole offense should be able to score pretty well. Um, Fournette. So Washington's been pretty strong up front. I think they rank yeah, like 10th in defensive rush way and have allowed like the third lowest success rate on running back targets. So they've been fairly effective versus running backs, you would think. And then I look at like some of the box score numbers and like Zach Moss had a really nice game. Patterson had like a huge game. Kamara had a huge game. Uh, Williams had a huge game. Like Gordon had a huge game. And like a lot of these are buoyed by like two touchdown games. So like, that's where Washington's allowing a lot of their running back DK points is like, there's just so many touchdowns that have been scored. I think like five on the ground and seven through the air. Um, Geo has three receiving touchdowns this year. So he's always a threat to like steal one of those scores from Fournette, you know, near the goal line, just because they've used them on those kind of like angle routes or like option routes near the goal line. Um, so that that's a danger to Fournette. I don't think this is one of those spots where he's going to like rush for 120 yards or something just because the, that's just not how Washington is at least most effectively attacked. Unless they go up, like you were saying, like 28 zero and he just racks up, a, you know, crap load of carries in the second half. But um, he'd be my least favorite of the Tampa Bay guys that we've been talking about, you know, like with Evans and Godwin and even like a Tyler Johnson at like a cheap salary if Godwin misses. But um, he certainly is a guy that he has a high touchdown equity in this offense. Like he's the most likely to get the goal line carries. But um, the, the problem with Tampa Bay is they're also – their goal line rushing is also like throw a fade to Mike Williams. You know what I mean? So they're, they're not even, you can't even necessarily count on them for their short touchdowns in the run game either. So I, I'm not like super interested in Fournette this week, but if you are stacking this game, like he's a, he's a guy that could, you know, still put up a nice score. I just, I wouldn't start with him for sure. Yeah. yeah with that. Oh, go ahead, Jess. Uh, I just think Fournette might be used in the passing game a lot. If, the other receivers aren't playing. Like if it's down to just Mike Evans out of the starting trio and missing Gronk, then I think you could see, you know, seven or eight targets go Fournette's way and whatever he does with those can be, be helpful. And then just looking at uh, Washington, I know, I know uh, Lex brought up their blitz rate. They blitz at a 31.6 rate, but they only get a sack on 18% of those blitzes, which is, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh worst. So their conversion rate on the blitz is terrible. And Brady actually wants you to blitz because he knows exactly <laughs> where he's going to go with the ball if you do. So it, it's just the, the defense for Washington. It'll be interesting to see what Rivera does. Like he's had the bye week to, to game plan. Uh, he knows he's getting Tampa Bay at home coming out of that bye week. So we'll see what they do, if there's any changes. And then like uh, William Jackson has been a complete bust for them. That guy was so good in Cincinnati all these years. And then he comes down and they can't get him to play zone the way they want him to play zone. So like, all right, let's let you play a little bit of man. And then he sucked in man. It's like, bro, what are you doing? So it, it, they just, they don't have anybody on the back end to stop anybody. So I think Mike Evans is the best play on the Tampa side, other than Brady. Like he's like, could be good for another two or three touchdowns in this game, hundred yards. But I, I like, I think Fournette could be sneaky. If Godwin is out, that'll be Brady's uh little safety valve. That'll be a short passing outlet. 
I was just looking at some of my notes from the wildcard game last year when I did the matchups and like, I was writing all this negative stuff. Like, you know, Washington was like really strong pass defense last year. Brady was struggling with the better pass defenses last year. He had been like, Oh, and two versus Ron Rivera when, you know, he was the Panthers head coach and he struggled in those games. And then that was his best game in the whole playoffs. He threw for like 380. Uh, Washington couldn't generate any pressure and he went off. And this year, Washington's like completely flipped to like the worst pass defense in the league. Um, Brady's playing as good as he has in a couple of years. Um, I just, I think that this offense is set up to smash. Any final thoughts on uh, receivers? If Godwin doesn't, doesn't play Jess, I know you kind of mentioned the, the Fournette play Lex. Did you have any thoughts based on injury news? Um, I mean, Tyler Johnson has been pretty effective in you know, in the limited role. So if they're now down like Gronk Godwin and a B like he certainly is interesting just because he's displayed a pretty solid amount of talent when he's been on the field. And just, you know, if he gets the volume, like he's in a high scoring environment. So that that's always a guy that is viable. And then I think OJ Howard or Bray are interesting just because you'd expect their targets to go up with, you know, those receivers going down. I think Howard already had a pretty nice game. I think it was the Miami one when they were down Gronk still. So I would be interested in those guys. Like if you're looking at stacking this game, like I don't know what the prices are necessarily, um, but obviously your focus would be on the main guys. Yeah. I kind of like Tyler Johnson too. If God wins out as a, uh, again, I haven't looked at salary, but I'm assuming pretty cheap exposure to the offense. And, you know, if you get six targets out of him and he finds his way into the end zone, gets 50 yards yeah, or something and- like that. And Evans would probably be the most likely to see William Jackson. Like I'm, I'm assuming, right, Jess. I mean, he's, they've been a terrible pass events, but he is still like the most effective corners of the ones they have. Yeah. I, I would guess that, that if they're going to play shadow, then they would probably try and put Jackson on Evans, which would make Tyler Johnson make a lot of sense. He's only 3,300 and he did get six targets last week. So he got two the first game Brown was out and then he got six last week, caught five of them. So he's definitely in play 11 and a half points. That's, I mean, I think he was what he was 3,100. So he tripled up his salary last week. He could usually do a triple or a quadruple this week. Yeah, that's, that's interesting to me. I'm like, if I'm looking at cheap receivers, always looking for a good game environment, this, this might not necessarily be that, but because of how, uh, temp Bay is so aggressive, it still kind of fits in that category and yeah, definitely has upside in the offense. So flipping over to the other side of the ball, we've talked a lot about how Tampa Bay is really kind of set up to smash there. Uh, can Washington keep up? They, I mean, shit, I was, I was ready to get on the Heineke train early this year and, uh, you know, feel pretty dumb for wanting to do that. He <laughs> so, did have a couple of good games early. Yeah, it just he just looked like the, the dual threat was going to kind of be what Washington needed to, to stay in some games and uh, produce. But it's been pretty rough. So what are what are our thoughts here, Jess? I'll throw it right back to you. I don't know if, you know, do you have any thoughts on how he matches up and if they'll be any better if like you were saying the bye week gives them time to game plan what are we looking at uh well tampa blitzes at the highest rate so they blitz more than washington does when heineke is under pressure blitzed his completion percentage just drops but his a dot goes up like two yards which is kind of weird um <laughs> and he's allowed the sixth most self-inflicted pressures so 
his decision making and what he's doing in the pocket may be a part of the reason why some of these blitzes are there. Um, as far as I, I wouldn't play Heineke in DFS. Um, I don't know that he's going to really sink some of the other players because Washington does have a couple pieces that make sense in this. Uh, Tampa is going to let you throw to your tight ends and running backs. So we know that if, if Logan Thomas is back this week, he's going to be in a smash spot. Uh, JD McKissick is worth looking at. And then if Thomas is out, then we got Ricky, another Ricky Seals Jones week. Um, and those are more like bring back. So if you are going to load up on the Tampa side, then bring back either one of the tight ends on the Washington side, whichever one starts. And then if you're wanting to bring back two, or you don't want to play the tight end, you got a better tight end play somewhere else. Then you can look at McKissick. Yeah. The thing about facing Tampa is you're going to drop back a lot. Um, Heineke's already throwing like 38 attempts per game. So I would expect a pretty high pass volume game here from Washington. Uh, Heineke's shown some, you know, running effectiveness. He's like, three games where he's got like 43, 40 and 95 yards on the ground. Tampa Bay allowed 44 and two touchdowns to Hurts, 38 to fields, 40 to Winston in like the first quarter. Um, so they can be attacked there. Heineke, I think had like 36 yards on the ground in that playoff game last year. I think that I wrote too, that was like his second highest yardage shuttle in any game ever. Like at least so far in his career was that playoff game versus Bulls defense. Um, Tampa Bay has been playing a little bit better on defense lately. Um, they're coming together, getting a little bit healthier. Um, I would expect some turnovers here. I, I think I'd be more interested in like the Tampa defense than the Washington offense, honestly. I mean, uh, sorry, than playing Heineke just because like Heineke could put up a nice score, but there's just better things to bet on. And I, I, I would expect, you know, Tampa Bay has forced 10 interceptions in the eight games. Heineke's thrown nine. You're expecting him to throw 40 plus passes in this game. Like Jess was saying, when he gets blitz, he's, his completion percentage goes down. I wouldn't be surprised if his turnover, turnover worthy throw rate went up too. Uh, so I, that's what scares me about this. Um, I mean, we can get to the other guys. Yeah. Like I think the tight ends are in a really nice spot. Tampa Bay has been very attackable um, through the tight end spot for the entirety of Bulls's tenure in Tampa Bay. And um, if, if Thomas is playing, then he's in a smash mod. If RSJ is playing, he is too, just because he's been, you know, I'm sorry if Thomas is not playing the RSJ is just because he's been playing on like 90 some percent of snaps, you know, with Thomas out. So I, I like that. I, I like the thoughts on McKissich too. He's hard just because his ceiling is like not the highest, but at his salary, he can still put up a pretty nice score. If you're like betting on this game environment, you know, as like a, a Washington bring back or something like he could, you know, if he falls in the end zone on one of those like eight catches for 80 yards, whatever, then he's, you know, helping you out. And uh, Gaskin already did that this year when he put up that huge game through the air. Um, Patterson and Herbert also had some nice receiving games. So even though the running backs are generally not the way you would think to like attack Tampa, just because you can't run on them, um, these, you know, receiving, you know, scat backs like McKissick are the ones that can actually have the better success here. Um, Tampa Bay's linebackers are pretty athletic and fast. So they actually allow less running back receiving production than most people would think just because they'll allow the catches, but they're pretty good at, you know, getting the tackles. Um, that's why like, even like a guy like Kamara, you think would be really good where Tampa has not had these like blow up games or Tampa just because they've been able to like crash down hard in those short passes. But a guy like in this offense, you know, McLaurin is probably going to demand more attention downfield. Some of these other speedy guys that they've got like Deandre Carter, 
So maybe that opens things up, you know, for McKissick. And if you're, if he's dropping back 45 times, like it's okay. If McKissick doesn't have like a bunch of huge plays, he could rack up like eight to 10 catches doing that. So I think that that's interesting. Um, even if he's not like going to be one of the guys I would prioritize this week, he's interesting in this in terms of game stacks. And then the last thing for McLaurin, I see what I wrote for him. Like the guys with 10 plus targets for Tampa Bay have all been, you know, well, mostly like cup lamb and Cooper, all had really nice games. And then really in Jacoby Myers did. Okay. Um, McLaurin's got 10 plus targets in four games. Um, where he's like smashed in a couple of them. And then he's had like some really bad does where he like just killed your roster and the other ones. Um, so if, if you're building on him as the guy to benefit the pass game, I think you, you'd expect him to have a really nice game, like in comeback mode, basically where he's just having a bunch of huge plays kind of like where DJ Moore versus Dallas, you know, where he was like the number one guy and the Panthers, they, you're always worried about volume, but then they fell down by like, a huge amount in that game. And then he racked up a ton of garbage time production. Like I could see that as a way for McLaurin to put up a big score here. Um, just because I think Tampa Bay's like we've been talking about is going to score a ton of points. Um, but he's definitely in the tougher spot compared to Thomas and McKissick just with how Tampa Bay filters. But you know, McLaurin's also obviously the one that can put up the 30 plus points just because Tampa Bay can be attacked downfield. You just, you're, you're betting on the big plays and him getting in the end zone once or twice. And DK didn't change McLaurin's price at all from last week for the the tougher matchup against Tampa Bay. So I think that must be part of their algorithm as pass attempts against and Tampa's forcing the third most pass attempts per game. Uh, the thing is though, they're at the, and they, they have the sixth highest completion percentage, but they have the second shallowest a dot and sixth fewest yards per attempt. So they're, they're not giving up those big plays downfield as often as they have been in the past. They're forcing you to, you know, tribe the field, you're, you're going to get little chunks of yards at a time. And then they're just going to hope that you're going to be Taylor Heineke and make a mistake and which you'll probably do, but, <laughs> and then, uh, so that kind of helps like the thought on McKissick and the tight ends. One thought that I just was kind of thinking of too, with McKissick, I mean, he has averaged eight targets per game over these last three games. Um, hold on. Where'd he go? He's 5,200 though, which is not great, but I mean, last week he had eight targets and 17 points. Uh, and he seems to be an every other week guy, just looking at his score right now. Yeah, he's an every other week guy. He scores 25 and then 17 and then two and then 19 and then 10 and then 17. So maybe this isn't the week to start him because maybe, you know, Taylor's looking for a hundred yard rushing game and not looking to check down. I don't know, but they, <laughs> the the running game itself is not going to work. So Gibson's not going to get anywhere They're They're not going to be able to run the ball. So it, we probably will see a lot of third downs, a lot of McKissick on the field, a lot of long down and distance plays from Washington. So He'll be on the field. He'll probably get his eight targets. Um, I don't know. That's that's kind of it as far as I'm thinking Washington goes is, is McKissick and the tight ends, whichever tight end starts. Yeah. And I think if you're ever playing McKissick, like it's these types of spots that you want to attack, right? Where the targets are going to filter to him. There, it could, it could be a high scoring environment just because we expect them to trail so much. I, I think that he's, I mean, he, if last week, like he, I mean, he's put up, like Jess was saying, like he's had like, eight catch games in like two of the last three, if he gets in the end zone in either of those games, then he's putting up like 25 points. Like, so he, he has like a pretty good size ceiling for that price. Even if he's a little bit more expensive than you'd like with some of the guys kind of near that. But, um, 
again, like just saying, I mean, this is the, when you play McKissage, like this is the kind of spot you want, you know, when you put him on a roster. Well, and especially too, as you guys are saying, when we were talking about the other side of the ball with Rivera having that week off, you know, you know, he saw the tape with Gaskin and how they were able to, to move the ball there, you know, could be part of the game plan to do that intentionally, not just catch up mode, you know, Gibson continues to be kind of banged up and inefficient, at least Patterson saw work last week. So, I mean, and he's, you know, he's not going to try to attack that way. He's, he's smart enough to know that to stay in this game, he's going to have to be pretty aggressive. And the thing that I think is interesting is you guys just talked about three guys on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, literally like the only three guys that are going to get meaningful work. Like, yeah, you're always going to be a chance for Deandre Carter, or one of these other guys to, to luck into a big player touchdown. But for the most part, this is like an incredibly, incredibly narrow distribution on this offense. So while it's not the, the sexiest place to go, uh, it is interesting from that perspective and just from the, the pure volume standpoint, uh, you know, it feels similar actually to what we were talking about last game with, uh, like Pitts and CPAT where it's just like, you know, if Heineke's throwing 40 times and the majority of those targets are going to these three guys, then for cheaper prices, you got McKissick and uh, RSJ or Logan Thomas, which I actually, I love Logan Thomas. If he's coming back in this spot, um, you got those two guys who are going to see a really solid uh, volume for their price. The only, only setback for me would be, what about the upside? You know, like how, how many successful drives do they have? How many end zone shots are these guys getting? So that's like the only drawback to me, but I am pretty interested because of all the, the other reasons. Yeah. I think, I mean, if it's not McLaurin leading them in targets, it's probably going to be the tight end um, that's playing or McKissage, you know, or the two of them at the top, you know, like if they shut down McLaurin. So I, I do think that they could be successful in the same game. And then the interesting thing is like, we talked about, you were just saying how the narrow, the narrow distribution for Washington Tampa Bay's injuries also created the situation kind of similarly on the other side, you know, especially with, you know, if Evans is the only healthy guy there, you know, with Johnson behind him and stuff like that, that makes this game easy to figure out the best guys to bet on. And then, you know, depending on the style of player you are, like you find the ways to differentiate within the game environment, but like, but you have a pretty obvious, you know, clear cut top guys just with the, the injuries on Tampa side and then the way the target should be filtered on the Washington side. Yeah. And a over under a 51 and a half. So they're, they're expecting points. This is a really great game to stack. I actually like the, the, the two games that we're talking about first here, are two of my favorites on the slate. I mean, there's maybe two other solid ones, but these are two of the better ones because of how narrow those distributions are. Yeah. With, I mean, think about it with Godwin out the way that we've described these two games you could play brady evans and tyler johnson bringing it back with the tight end from washington and mckissich and just you know roughly based on those prices you probably have a pretty solid chunk of salary left to work with for your other remaining spots and if you're you know jm talks about this all the time right if like you're guaranteeing yourself a certain amount of production from these guys and you can pick 
you know, another kind of uh, like a uh, game correlation or some like one-off plays that you feel really strongly about at high price points. I mean, that's a, a really interesting thing uh, or strategy. And especially for me as like a, a single entry guy, I'm kind of always looking to focus on a game environment and really try to know, you know, have some confidence in those things. So definitely, definitely interesting. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jeff. Sorry. Something I just noticed, uh, I pulled up flex. I'm not looking at quarterbacks, but from the flex position, the most expensive player is McCaffrey at 8,400. So this is going to be one of those weeks where you probably are going to be able to, it's like FanDuel. You're going to be able to build rosters that you really, really like this week. Um, and then just that block of McKissick and Logan Thomas, that's $9,200 for a potential 18 to 20 targets. I mean, would you pay $9,200 for Devonte Adams for 20 targets? More than likely. Yeah. I mean, you have to spread that out over two positions, but it's, it's kind of the positions that you would want to punt away at anyway, as your second running back. And then you can kind of punt a little bit with tight end at 4,000 with Thomas. So I don't know. It's it's going to be an interesting slate with how cheap the the skill position players are too. Yeah, I just wanted to add my last thought about this game would be even though we've talked a lot about you know potentially Godwin missing, even if Godwin's playing, I still think the Tampa Bay side is interesting just because, especially with Gronk and AB out, like they still had a pretty narrow distribution between Evans and Godwin at the top there. So like that wouldn't make me just be like, oh, now I can't touch the Tampa Bay side. I mean, obviously you'd like it if there's one less guy, you know, in the distribution gets even narrower, but I still think that they're a good play regardless. Yeah. still, I think Evans is still an interesting play in that situation too, because you know, people weren't playing him last week and then, um, you know, Godwin's had a couple of good games in the meantime. So, you know, people just might not be on him quite as much. And if they're worried about like, Oh, well now the targets are going to get spread out. Uh, still, you know, you're betting a little bit more on ceiling there, but I think, yeah, still totally in play. All right. Two games done. Let's head on to our last one in new Orleans at Tennessee, two teams here with solid reputations, but who have just been absolutely decimated by injury and are just rolling out backups all over the place. Uh, only two games on the slate have, a lower total than this game's 44 and a half. What are we looking at here? We're always, we're always saving the interesting game for the last one here. Uh, and we've got Lex coming in hot with, uh, his, his new Orleans takes. <laughs> we, we want all the answers, Lex, just tell us how this is going to work. Tell us, uh, you know, did you foresee Trevor Simeon? What's actually, what's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Drew Brees said he's going to walk in the doorway tomorrow, <laughs> you know? Um, no, but, but, uh, I, I think that, so the saints are 23 and five on the road since 2018 when Vrabel took over for the Titans. And yes, a lot of that was with Brees. but I, the reason I think that's important is just because the way they've been won a lot of these road games is like with really strong defense and like winning these kind of lower scoring games where they control it more on the ground. And I think that that's the identity of the Saints team this year. And I think they're going to try to do that again versus the Tennessee team that hasn't been the greatest versus the run this year. So I think that that overall lessens the environment for a guy like Tannehill, who when we see him pop off, it's in these games that are like shootouts, you know, back and forth scoring on both sides. Like a lot of those like Houston games or Indianapolis, like those kinds of scores. So I don't think this is the best spot for Tannehill. 
you know, we did just see Ryan put up a nice game, but it was also like in a dome and, you know, Tannehill just doesn't have that 300 yard ceiling that Ryan has shown. Um, he only has 300 yards in four of his 26 starts since 2020, uh, with the Titans. So he's rarely getting those big games. Usually his big games actually come with like a rushing score. Um, so which is certainly possible. He he's shown a good amount of those, but I mean, that's a tough thing to bet on. Right. So basically, um, new Orleans has intercepted a lot of passes. Tannehill is always at risk to throw a bad interception. There's just not a lot to like from the spot from the Titans passing offense here. Um, I mean, we'll get to the receivers and like, there's some interesting things there, but Tannehill is not one of the guys that I would look to at least right now in the week where I'd be like, yeah, I want to put him in there and figure out ways to stack this game just because the total's low. The saints have been in a lot of low total games. I think I wrote like they've only been in, what was it like three of, I know you wrote it down the notes, three of 21 games since their buy last year, when they kind of like improved their defense, like after a, a rough start, only three of 21 games have finished over 60 points. So like, they, and Tannehill basically needs those 60 point, you know, totals to go off. So I, I'm just mostly staying away from him on that side of the ball. Jess thoughts about that. Anything to add to what Lex said there? Well, Tennessee. Yeah. <laughs> Tennessee. I don't know what to do with them really yet either. I, they're, Tan, I agree. Tannehill's not in a great spot. You got Tennessee's got the sixth worst worst net pass DVOA, sixth worst net adjusted sack rate score. Uh, New Orleans is allowing the sixth most passing yards in the league, but it's coming at the second and the second highest a dot, but it's at the sixth lowest completion percentage rate. So teams have been had to be really efficient against New Orleans. Um, just kind of looking at the the matchup chart on the the workbook, like you really want to attack new Orleans with a slot receiver and Tennessee doesn't really use one. I mean, they have Chester Rogers, but their best players are Julio Jones and AJ Brown on the outside. So I guess whoever Lattimore is not covering would be the other one. And I don't know if they're going to straight up man Lattimore on AJB or if they're just going to have him play a side of the field, because both of those receivers are talented and just have him, you know, shut down one side of the field. Um, yeah. And then even looking at the rushing, Tennessee has the sixth worst net rush DVOA and second worst net adjusted line yard score. So the, and then without Derrick Henry, I mean, Adrian Peterson was okay. He got in the end zone, but he didn't really look great. Uh, none of the other running backs look that great. So Tennessee's injuries uh, the, along the offensive line at running back, uh, who's healthy at wide receiver, it's tight end roulette. If you're trying to play one of those guys, like they, they have three tight ends that'll catch a touchdown on any given week. So it's just a really hard offense to work with. Um, and their two best players are the, the two outside receivers, which is not the best way to attack Atlanta or at new Orleans, but I don't know. I I'm probably laying off the Tennessee side for sure. Um, might even lay off on the Saints side. I guess you can even look at the, the DSTs for this either team on this game too. I mean, you got a low score, you've got a spread of three. So it's not like one team's expected to blow the other out. This is just going to be a grinder of a game. Both are, are slow paced offenses. They want to run the clock. Um, Tennessee was out possessed by five minutes last week without Henry, but they're still going to be able to hold onto the ball. And then Tennessee has been in three overtime games this year too. So it, you could, 
good hope for another overtime game to speed out a little more production here, but I, it, that's that's a tough call. Yeah, I'll say too, like, I, I think the positive for the Tennessee passing game is that against New Orleans, it's really tough to run. So teams generally need to pass more anyway. And then now that you also don't have Henry, you'd expect them to probably have a little bit of a higher pass rate. I think it did climb last week in their first game without him. So that is at least a positive to like maybe some more volume for Brown and Julio, maybe Tannehill throws it a bit more. Um, but we're, you're with Brown, you're still basically relying on him to have like ultra efficiency just because he doesn't have that same target ceiling that some of these other guys do. Um, I don't really know what they're going to do with Lattimore. Like I, I would guess it's whether like how healthy they deem Julio to be just because Julio is just not really done much. So like if they don't think of him as like the Julio of old, like maybe they do have a lot of more travel with Brown for the majority of the game. But otherwise, I mean, if, if you're thinking of Julio is still a pretty dangerous receiver there, like they're, they're probably not going to just throw one of these other guys, you know, on Julio all game, they'll probably just have a lot of more have a side or, have a mix against both these guys. Um, but they have a lot of, a lot of receiver production this year. So it's certainly possible for, you know, one of these two guys to have a pretty nice game, especially if, if new Orleans is able to put up points on their side. Um, just the problem is we know how new Orleans wants to win, which is like this low scoring kind of slugfest. And Tennessee honestly does too. They're just, they lost, you know, Henry. So it's not as easy anymore. Um, but yeah, I don't have too many other clear thoughts on that passing game just because it's hard to ever really nail down who you want to play um, when it's like Lattimore, you know, you don't really know what how they're going to use him and you don't have the highest certainty of like high volume on Tennessee's side. But uh, yeah, that <laughs> I don't really have even a way to conclude. It's just kind of like a, a weird spot where it's like I wouldn't write it off, but I wouldn't be like, yes, I am starting my roster with, you know, someone from here. So just to to go back to the Lattimore thing. So what I mean, Julio is familiar with New Orleans from Atlanta, right? So yeah, if they do deem Julio not healthy enough or not effective enough, they're like, all right, Lattimore, we want you to to follow AJB. Julio is only fifty four hundred dollars, and he actually did get a little bit of a price bump again. Maybe uh, DraftKings has projected pass attempts or for the whole team involved in their algorithm, but it's only 5,400. Like it's not out of the question for Julio Jones to get 20 points in this spot. If Lattimore is on AJ Brown and being effective over there. Um, and yeah, with the heightened passing volume, because yeah, Tennessee can't run is not going to be able to run that well without Henry and new Orleans doesn't let you run anyway. So it's a, a similar game as far as like what we have with Washington against Tampa's defense, Tampa's not going to let you run but Tennessee doesn't have a whole lot of weapons to work with. And if they're, if new Orleans is going to take one away, I would suspect it's going to be AJB that leaves Julio as a, a decent price down option for probably more for like larger field. Or if you're doing like 20 plus 150 entries, like mix in some Julio, but I don't know if he would make like a tighter build or like smaller stuff, but it, it's an interesting thought anyway. And I, I, I do kind of like your thought with Tannehill, the, Attempts will go up. So maybe Tannehill running, becoming part of the running game now, throwing a little bit more like that could be a, an interesting weird stack. If you, <laughs> you want to do some weird stacks out there, get some Tannehill and Julio in there. There's, there's definitely like watching the saints as I have over the years, like QBs have definitely had some success when they're able to escape the pocket and run just because New Orleans is playing a lot of man. And um, there's just, you know, a lot of times like the pass threshold 
push them forward and then they'll escape and they don't have a guy there. So that's a way Tannehill could have success. Going on everything you said, the, the positives for Julio to me are, like you said, he's cheap. He's the most likely to see less of Lattimore and Lattimore has been really strong this year versus some of those elite guys. Um, and then the positives for Brown would be he's, you know, has a higher target expectation. He's a better player at this point in their careers. And he does actually spend more time in the slot than Brown than uh, Julio. So he'll, he can escape Lattimore in that way and attack like whoever they have in the slot. And I don't even know if CD Gardner Johnson is going to play this week. He's, I think he missed practice and he is their primary slot guy. So losing him would actually make the slot coverage even worse. So that's something to keep in mind too. And then we can get to the running backs. Like none of them are super exciting. Like I mean, I've been writing the same running back stuff versus the saints for like all season, just because it's like so ugly. Um, McKin- Mc- McNichols is like the only one that'd be even be interesting just because of his past game work. But like now with Pierce in there too, like I, I don't think I could ever stomach putting McK- McNichols on a roster. So that, that's kind of disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is pretty disgusting. Uh, I mean, yeah, as, as you guys are talking, I'm just like the, it's just so difficult from a DFS standpoint. It's like Tennessee already, you know, cause usually look at the box scores after a week and like how they're spreading the ball around, even with two, you know, pretty obvious standout guys in AJ Brown and Julio, they're still, you know, passing the ball to a handful of guys. And it's just the outside of AJ Brown and, you know, to a lesser extent, Julio, just, there's just nobody with ceiling on that offense, you know? So it's, it's tough. And like, as you guys are talking, I, I mean, I was thinking that I would be hard pressed to, to think that they wouldn't stick Lattimore on AJ Brown. Cause I feel like at this point, he's, definitely the threat, you know, instead of Julio, where it's like, they'll, they're, you know, they might take the chance and just be like, okay, well, we're going to stick on him. Cause he's, he could definitely hurt us. Whereas like Julio could, but you know, we're, we're willing to like bite that bullet, let him try. Um, but Lex, what you said with Brown in the slot is, is somewhat interesting to me and kind of like, uh, put a little bit of a damper on that theory of mine. So, um, cause otherwise I was going to say Julio is like literally the only guy from that side of the ball, which even that sounds crazy to say that I would have any interest in the way, the way they used to defend, um, Atlanta with Ridley and Julio is Lattimore would normally shadow one of them more often Julio. And then they just spend a little bit more like bracket coverage on the other one. Um, Actually, well, they originally started leaving Ridley, you know, Ridley on one of the other guys when he was still young and then he was like torching them. So then they were like, oh, all right, now we have a lot, of, a lot of more shadow Ridley, bracket Julio. It's kind of like a mix of that. I would expect something like fairly similar, though Julio is like not looked as effective as he, you know, once did. But maybe he's getting healthier. Like, I, you know, he's a little bit further removed from that injury now. Um, but again, like, it's like you're saying, it's just tough to kneel down, especially when you have this like low volume pass offense. Like that just makes it even, even tougher to find these huge games. All right. Do we, we want to say anything else on the running backs? I mean, I really don't know how much else there is to say than like what you did Lex. There's just, I, I would just say like, if, if you really want to look at more stuff, like I did write a lot of notes about it in my like matchups thing, but like, I, I, I don't, there's just not much to talk about. Like, I, I just don't think there's any reason to put Peterson or McNichols on your roster. It just feels like there's so many better upside spots to take advantage of. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So let's flip it to the other side of the ball then. 
we've got the New Orleans offense who, I mean, Lex, who's, who's even playing for their offense anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of of a mess here. Uh, Actually, I tried out last weekend, but they told me to go home. God, (laughs) come on, man. You're repping the the first OWS uh, NFL player. (laughs) (laughs) They said stick to losing money in DFS. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah i mean thoughts on the offense like what's the quarterback situation we saw trevor simeon uh what's <laughs> what's their do it's, yeah it's weird i i think if Taysom wasn't hurt like going into last week and he wasn't like returning from a multi-week absence i do think he probably would have been the starter last week um that's just the way they had it set up going into the year and obviously we know sean payton likes Taysom a lot but now it's a little bit murky just because Simeon's been in there. The guys have responded pretty well to him. He's played well. Like he had a really nice comeback last week, you know, and they probably never would have even fell behind by that much if his receivers didn't drop so many passes early in the game. So like right now on Wednesday, I, I really don't know who's going to play the majority of the quarterback snaps. I I was honestly shocked that Taysom played as little as he did last week. Like um, I follow closely the one Saints beat reporter, Nick Underhill, just because he has such a good read on the situation for the most part. And he was the first to that Simeon starting last week. Um, but even he thought Taysom would mix it more than he did. So it could have just been, they're bringing him back slower. He had, I think he played like eight and nine quarterback snaps in his last two games before getting hurt. And then last week it was at like three. So I would expect that range to be closer to like the 10 to 15, even if he's not starting just because they're going to be less likely to use Simeon as much as like Winston or breeze when Taysom's in there, but it's hard to know who's going to be the starter. Um, I don't know if that truly impacts like how much fantasy goodness there is from this game, to be honest, like Taysom obviously has more upside with his legs than like a Simeon would. So that would make him interesting, but all the other guys, like the receivers are still kind of all just ugh. and like uh Troutman has like been getting better, getting used more, but he's still not really putting up scores that are worth rostering. And then, you know, Kamara's injured now and we can talk about maybe Taysom steals more of Kamara's upside just with his goal line role. But um I don't think it truly matters right now is whether we know if it's Simeon or Taysom, just because I don't think that the passing game for new Orleans has been the best way to attack a, a slate trying to win you money anyway. So, and I don't think that either of them as a quarterback changes that too much right now. Uh, and just, you know, looking at the players, if Camara doesn't play, then that opens up a cheap, cheap Mark Ingram at 4,500. Um, New Orleans has the fourth best net adjusted line yard score, um, but teams don't really run against Tennessee. They're throwing against them more, but they have been efficient when they're running against Tennessee. So Mark Ingram would be in play for me at 4,500 if Camara's out. Uh, the only other guy I'm really looking at and probably not really going to consider playing, but since we're looking at this game and I'm looking for the best players to talk about would be Traquan Smith. Um, Tennessee's off or defense they're, they are allowing the most pass attempts per game. So you're going to get some targets out there. I don't know how much new Orleans is going to take advantage of that. I mean, they're allowing 40, maybe new Orleans throws it 37 times. I mean, I know they let Simeon throw it 41 last week, but if Taysom's healthy, he's going to cut down on some of the pass attempts. If he lines up at quarterback, but 64% of all their targets, which is the most go to wide receivers with 8.4 going into the slot and there's let's see 
Yeah, Tennessee is still allowing 20.7 fantasy points, just regular PPR points to slot receivers, which is the most on the slate. And that's actually the most in the league. So if if you're looking for anybody and he's cheap too, he's 4,300. But again, like because when I was saying earlier is the slate's not going to be hard to put good rosters together because there aren't a ton of expensive plays. But I don't know if so, if if you're out there looking for players from the Saints, then. I think it's down to Mark Ingram without Camara or it's Traquan Smith. If you're, you know, just throwing in an extra weird piece to try and make your rosters look different on your one fifties. Yeah. I think like Harris and Smith, like they would have been more interesting with Winston, you know, if he was still here, but I just don't think they want Simeon to throw that much kind of like Winston, but at least with Winston, you just have more upside on those kind of deep shots that I just don't think Simeon has. So I'm mostly, I'm probably just going to stay away. Tennessee's defense is weird too. Like they've been getting crushed by receivers all year, but the last three weeks, like I think it wrote, they jumped from what, like 27th in defensive pass TVA to eighth after facing the chiefs, the Colts and the Rams. Like those are not like slouch teams either. I mean, that's like Mahomes, Wentz and, and Stafford. So they just started like whatever they're doing. I mean, it's working on defense right now. So like that makes it even less exciting to play a saints player in that pass game. Um, the running backs, like, I think, like Jeff said, like Ingram is obviously interesting if Kamara is not playing just because they don't really have anyone else. Like they'd be pulling in someone off the street or, or Dwayne Washington, if he's even, I don't even know if he's healthy right now. Um, cause I know he's been on IR, so I, I don't really know what that running back room is going to look like. If AK is playing, it sounds like he might not be fully healthy either, which gives concern. Like the, the games he played in 2019, when he was hurt, he, you could just tell he wasn't nearly as effective. Um, so he just didn't have as much ceiling. Uh, I don't know. I'm mostly staying away from the side of the ball. I mean, AK is obviously the only one who's ever really exciting from this offense this year. And now with him hobbled, it just makes it less interesting, but Ingram is cheap enough, you know, where he could get you a solid amount of production in the spot. New Orleans has just got such a good system in place with that offensive line and you know, they want to attack on the ground. So that would be, Somewhat interesting, but there are probably, you know, higher upside, like even if Ingram's getting all the volume, like, I don't really know what that, what that ceiling is. Yeah. And I think if Kamara plays, he's more of a game theory piece, because if you look at pricing, he's sandwiched right there between McCaffrey and Taylor. So yeah. nobody, nobody's going to play Kamara. They're going to, they're going to pay the $200 more to get McCaffrey, or they're going to pay a hundred dollars less and take Jonathan Taylor. Um, and Kamara did have seven targets last week. So that was helpful. He had 11 against Seattle. So the, the targets are, are possible, uh, maybe less if Taysom is the starter, but if Simeon starting and Kamara is going to be really low owned this week would be my guess. Just looking at pricing and matchups and stuff like that. Yeah. Everything you guys said, totally agree. I think the, the biggest thing for me is really the other side of the ball. The fact that it's like, we don't really see how Tennessee is going to have a ton of success and doesn't have like high scoring expectations. And, you know, Sean Payton has shown that he's more than willing to just run the ball and win the game. Uh, so yeah, I mean, definitely not looking anywhere near any of those receiving options. Uh, quarterback's not interesting to me. Uh, the Mark and Ingram thing is interesting. If AK's out, kind of like it reminds me of what I was saying about the uh, the weird running back situation when we were talking about Dallas and Zeke. And you know, you get a guy in Ingram who 
you know, could see similar opportunity to a guy like Zeke. Uh, his matchup is the, what do you say? Just like fourth adjusted line instead of first or whatever that Dallas is, is so like, you know, matchup isn't that much worse and you're getting him at probably, like I said, I don't know pricing, but you know, close to three K less. And so not, I'm not saying Ingram's like some smash player or something like that, but if you're looking at salary and like expectation for opportunity, you know, he very easily could fall into a game where he runs, you know, falls into the end zone twice. And that's how they score two of their three touchdowns or whatever. So yeah, I mean, that's, it's definitely interesting if Kamara's out. Yeah, I was just looking at prices of the flex players because, you know, Jess said earlier, like, I think McCaffrey is the highest one and he's only 83 or something. So Ingram, like, maybe he helps you get access because he's at 4,500. Maybe he helps you get to, like, the expensive quarterbacks or uh, multiple of the receivers or, you know, a McCaffrey type. But um, it's not like he's some key to opening up, you know, those ceiling guys because there's just not a lot of really strong or expensive plays this week. Um, so that makes him a little bit less interesting, but again, if you can get a running back with maybe like 20 guaranteed touches, you know, at 4,500, like, I mean, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, and it could be the field just pays out and just gets like a bunch of medium price guys. So maybe nobody pays down at running back and yeah, he's basically without Camara, he's $4,500 Chris Carson. You're open for that 90 yards and two touchdowns, but you only have to pay 4,500 for it. Yeah, that's a good point. He might not get as much ownership as he might on another week, just because people aren't going to feel the need to save salary as much. So it just drives less people away from that, that range. He, so. he had five targets last week. He had 14 total opportunities, nine carries, five targets. So I don't yeah. know. I think even if Camara plays, he's viable because at, at some point, maybe Kamara comes out of the game and rests up or something like he, maybe he re-aggravates or something. So playing these cheap running backs that could fall into a, a huge opportunity, it's probably more for the 150 MME guys, but I think he's definitely viable and at least worth considering. Yeah. Again, it's like at the end of the weekend, you could, him and Zeke could have a very similar line. Like you just said, you know, 90 and two touchdowns could be the same. He could outscore Zeke. And that's, and it's not saying that's the most likely thing to happen, but when we're talking about roster pieces and salary allocation, things like that, it's um, definitely one of those things that, you know, just on like name value and stuff, the field and, and the pricing psychology of uh, you know, when you're, you're, you're paying up for something, you're expecting it to be a better piece. Whereas Ingram's going to be one of those pieces that's so low that some people just might overthink it. Um, so yeah, who knows? It's, it'll be kind of an interesting spot to see how things end up shaking out, uh, will at least be in consideration for me just as, you know, see how rosters kind of come together. All right, guys, is that it? Are we good? I think so. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Unless Drew Brees walks in the door tomorrow. Oh, Lex, you're just setting yourself up for so much disappointment. <laughs> We're going to get Odell. We're going to get Drew Brees back. Michael Thomas is going to come off IR, you know, out of all of a sudden. <laughs> they're going to, they're just going to win the Super Bowl right off into the sunset. I'm not biased, I swear. <laughs> right. All right, guys. Any other final high level thoughts? Anything else? Or are you guys ready to get out of here? 
think Lex is ready to eat. We're keeping him up later now because he doesn't have the uh, daylight saving time in Arizona. Yeah, we're we're in the weird zone over here. I I, I lost an hour and now I'm now I'm getting hungry. Like just said. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're just running this thing on to see if Lex will pass out on uh, mid recording. We, we we got basketball games start at like eight thirty for me now. I'm like I I could never live on the East Coast because eight thirty is too late for me. Like I don't know I don't know how you could how you do it over there, Ben. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, these these prime time games, man. I'm like up until eleven thirty, and it's uh, <laughs> difficult. The, yeah. the the things we have to do, you know. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. For Lex, for Jess, I'm Ben. This has been the OWS First Peak Podcast. Hope to see you guys at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Bye.